This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. And welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, PD Pop, and today we are going to be introducing new players to tournaments in Warhammer 40k 8th edition. Now, we are going to be primarily talking about the ITC, obviously, because I, I do work for Frontline Gaming and we do run the ITC, um, so there will be a little bit of ITC bias, uh, so apologies. But we're also going to be talking about Nova, Adepticon, and basically tournaments in general in 8th edition. Now, I know there's a lot of people who are new to tournament the tournament scene and 40k 8th edition in general. Um, I know more and more people are subscribing to the 8th edition 40k mentality, uh, which is I'm going to build my army for match play. Uh, I'm going to build what I want because that's what I want to use. Uh, and then occasionally we'll shoot the breeze and have fun with uh, friends in narrative play or open play, which is perfectly okay. You can play this game however you want, enjoy it however you want. This episode is going to be geared to people who want to play in tournaments in 40k, which is actually kind of the basis for this podcast. Um, I like to focus on tactics that you can use in every game to make all of your games more competitive. And that was kind of the big push push in 7th edition uh, because a lot of people weren't, they didn't feel the the uh, urge, or the I guess not the urge, they, they didn't feel that connection between tactical play and winning the game in 7th edition because a lot of games were routes, right? Uh, you know, you had players who could flat out couldn't deal with certain things like Space Marine, Imperium, Super Friend, Death Stars. So there wasn't a lot of interaction, um, which in turn led to less tactical depth. Um, now in eighth edition, we're kind of moving away from that, and uh, even though there is still not, there's still some really cheesy broken lists. There is a lot more interaction, uh, which is something me and my guest Jeff in Control Robinson will be talking a little bit about. So, if you're interested in playing tournaments in Warhammer 40k eighth edition this is the podcast for you. Or if you have a buddy who doesn't really know where to start or, or he's kind of weary about or wary of being in a big large event or attending a large event, you know, point him this way to this podcast. This podcast is for you guys, but there's more. After the the commercial break, Jeff and Control Robinson and I are just going to be talking about his Tyranids and I'm, I'm going to pick his brain and see where he's at with the 8th edition meta, what he's building, his lists. Um, spoiler alert, he he's doing extremely well with his Tyranids right now. Um, so if you're a Tyranid player and you want a little bit of insight, 
you can go ahead and check that out as well. This is perfect for Tyranid players. If you have any buddies that want to play Tyranids, it's great stuff in this episode. Anyways, before we go on to the episode, I have some quick announcements. The first thing is the tournament season is going to be kicking off soon right now. As I'm recording this episode, it's July 23rd, and we, there's actually a big, big first 8th edition high-level GT happening tomorrow the boise cup in idaho i was supposed to go to that i didn't the wife told me hey pablo you can either go to nova or you can go to the uh the iron halo gt or the iron halo um or you can go to boise and i was like listen can i just have two and then she said okay fine and the boise cup unfortunately i didn't have the funds to go um so it got the axe nova and the the iron halo are a bit farther out and i've already committed to the iron halo monetarily already so i'm definitely going to that um and no offense to the guys at the boise cup uh but nova is not only farther out but it is a, a large event and um i'm really excited to go to that one uh, so maybe next year, guys, I know a lot of the people in the Boise Cup area were expecting me to go or were looking forward to meeting me. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. Anyways, tournament season is going on. It's happening right now. Next week, I've already got interviews scheduled for people who participated in the Boise Cup. I know who's doing well right now. Uh, I'm not going to say anything. Well, I'm not I, obviously, it's tomorrow, um, but I know who's who's going right now. So I've already got interviews lined up. Um, hopefully there's going to be some upsets and hopefully we have a, an idea of what the meta is going to be, you know, uh, are knights really going to dominate? Um, I don't know anything about the format though. I do think that with the ITC announcement being only one day before the event, I think they're just going to stay, they're going to stick with everything. They're just going to stick with pure out of the rule books rules, which is great. Um, for those of you guys really want to know what it, what the meta is like with the pure edition, um, so that's going to be great. I'm going to have that coverage for you guys next week. And then after that, uh, hopefully we'll get the ball rolling with more weekly tournament coverage. Uh, I have issued a call out on Facebook, and I'll go ahead and put it on the podcast here now. If you have a tournament and you want to talk about it, um, you want to tell me you know, what list you ran, what the meta was like, who won the event. Uh, if you're a TO and you want to, if you want to support your event and you want me to talk about it you know, and build up some hype for it, uh, email me frontline gaming pdpab at gmail.com that's frontline gaming p-e-t-e-y-p-a-b at gmail.com um so you guys can definitely just go in there and let me know all that good stuff i know a lot of people are always asking me for tournament coverage what's new what's hot what are people running what are the top players running so all that's great if you give me that information we can relay out relay it out to everyone and everyone will love it okay next speaking of emailing me Keep sending me those email questions. I got oh, I got a lot. Um, I remember, I, unfortunately, with the 8th edition release, I didn't have a lot of time to answer them every morning like I usually did. Um, but I did set aside Thursday, yesterday, and I set aside three whole hours just answering your guys' questions. Um, it, was, it was crazy. I, I think I, I must have gone over, gone over out, through about 30 or 40. Um, there was a lot of good stuff there. Um, there's, there's a lot of, you know, there weren't any bad questions. Um, sometimes, you know, you'll get a guy who's like, can, can Gilliman really not go on a rhino? 
you know, the model is, should be able to fit in a Rhino or whatever, right? Um, so you'll get a few of those um, on online or, or on signals from the front line or even people even call them in and ask those kind of questions sometimes. Um, but that wasn't the case this time. It was mostly just lists and people who were excited about 8th edition and who were excited about trying the things that they wanted to try out. Um, so a lot of them were just seeking little bits of advice here and there. I remember telling one guy, uh, just throw in some Electro Priests in your Admech list for a little bit of close combat presence. Boom. It's It might not have been a completely perfect, optimized, amazing Admech list, but I think he was really running the units he wanted to run, which is good. That's all, all you really need to do. Um, so that's the point of this podcast, guys, as well, is for you guys to email me and then for us to have a dialogue or have a tactical discussion via an email and talk about your lists and make you a better player. Uh, regardless of what you play. If you play at the highest level in tournaments or if you play in the garage with your buddies, I get all sorts of emails. Send them in. I already repeated the email the, the email address. If you guys want to go to frontlinegaming.org, you can also check my email address there as well. It's at the list uh, the bottom of every uh, Chapter Tactics blog post. Okay, so keep sending your emails, guys. I like them. Next, the ITC 8th edition update is here. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about that. I mentioned a little bit about it briefly, but basically the ITC 8th edition update updated the rules for the BAO and for the foreseeable future, we'll be going with those edition updates. Um, now this is more of an ITC uh, an ITC kind of note, so if you're not really in the ITC, you can tune out for a little bit. I'll tell you when I go on to the rest of the episode. But basically... Let me just summarize the changes. Uh, the ITC is switching to a plus one to seize the initiative role instead of the traditional, the person who finishes all of their deployments gets to choose whether they want to go first or second. So it's a, not, I'm sorry, not a plus one to seize the initiative, a plus one to roll for see who go to, to see who goes first. So now when a player deploys and finishes all of their deployments and they get to finish first, they get a plus one, so both players roll off. Uh, player A, if player A finishes their deployment first, they get a plus one. And then player B, if they lost, gets to roll to seize the initiative, and then you go on and you play your games. The other big change is kill points. Kill points is now calculated using a unit's power level and not using kill points themselves. So a unit of brimstone whores, I think they're worth five power points now so unit of brimstone was worth five instead of one uh unit of conscripts is worth three instead of one uh etc etc and this was kind of you this was kind of um i i I was talking to reese a little bit about this uh and it's it's really just it's from a balanced perspective uh if you listen to signals from the front line on friday was recorded earlier today um Go ahead, just listen to that. Reese explains everything. He goes over goes over it in detail and gives his reasoning for why he made all the decisions. Uh, he was obviously a playtester with Frankie. Reese and Frankie have been playing this game for months and months and months ahead of the rest of the community. Um, so I would just give that listen that episode a listen before you cast final judgment on the ITC decision, whether you like it or not. Um, so just bear that in mind. Also. Uh, a couple of people asked me, you know, why, you know, wh- why they did that, or they've they've kind of um, indicated that I was a little bit at fault for that, or I'm to blame. Though I am part of the ITC, I am part of Frontline Gaming. Um, remember, Reese and Frankie, they were playtesters. They they make those decisions. They they're the only ones who are educated enough to make those decisions. If I were to go to Reese and say, Hey, Reese, um, let's change let's change uh, this 
particular mission, right? Let's make objective markers so you measure from the actual objective marker instead of the center or whatever silly random reason. Um, you know, he would be like, Pablo, listen, I respect you, but you don't have the experience that I do. And I'd be like, oh, fair enough. Um, so just keep that in mind, guys. Listen to that podcast episode. The ITC 8th edition update is here. Um, and then, of course, if you're a TO or if you have someone, you know, a TO or if you want to go talk to your TO and tell them that they're just guidelines, you, of course, do not have to adhere to all of the ITC guidelines to be an ITC event. A Nova and Adepticon last year, they were ITC events. They didn't follow the ITC mission format at all, of course, because they're Nova and Adepticon. They do their own things. They're large events. They, they're, they can do that. They, you know, they have large established events. Um, so, just keep that in mind, guys. Uh, and then for TOs who, who uh, are running events, get a feel for what your local meta is like right now. Um, I, I would highly suggest taking a poll for all the people who go to your events and just kind of figure out, do they want to play raw? Do they want to play ITC? Do they want to play Nova? Do they want to play this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And just figure out what works best for your, for your community as a whole. Um, I know a lot of the TOs for the larger events, it's a lot easier to take an established format like the Renegade open format or like the ITC format or the Nova format, and then just plug that into your event. So you can focus on other things like building your event, you know, like terrain, venue, uh, advertisement, and if you're a TO who wants to do all those things, I understand completely. I talk to TOs who run 80, 100 plus events, player events on the regular, so I understand. Um, but I think it's also important to take the time to ask your player race what they want. Uh, so go ahead and do that. Anyways, on to the main topic. The main topic is going to be, as I mentioned earlier, uh, beginner's guide to tournaments and the ITC and the tournament circuit in general. Uh, so. Anyways, without further ado, let's get on to Jeff and the rest of the episode. Okay, guys, with me I have Jeff in Control Robinson. Uh, Jeff, if you haven't heard of him, he is a former professional StarCraft II player, uh, and he is also a wargaming personality, plays Warhammer 40k, uh, streams, he tweets, he does it all. Say hi, say hi to everyone, Jeff. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Thank you for having me, Pablo. You forgot one thing, though. Probably my greatest accomplishment was tying you at the Broadside Bash about three years ago. I can't believe you still remember that. I thought I was a little fleck or a little speck in the pan. You know, nobody. <laughs> and no. No. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, I think that was probably... I just really started playing 40k then. Like, that was my first big tournament. Um, or, I guess, big event. Because it wasn't really a tournament. It was for fun. But, and now you're the king of all of Warhammer. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I don't know about king. I'll take Duke. I'll take Duke of Warhammer. Okay. All right. Okay, guys. So, like I mentioned before, uh, we are going to just kind of go over what it's like to get into 40k tournaments and 40k competitive play. Um, there, the tournament scene is, is huge, and it's growing every single day. Um, you know, if you just look at the Las Vegas Open livestream coverage this year, in back in February... You'll see that there's there's sponsors, there's people getting into it, there's more and more people watching it and traveling to different events. Um, so it can be kind of overwhelming. Um, and Jeff, having the vast vast amount of experience, you know, with the StarCraft II competitive meta, you you essentially you got to see that competitive kind of scene grow, right, Jeff? I, I think mm -hmm. yeah, I was watching listening to your YouTube video um, about the beginnings of of Evil Geniuses, which is a uh, they are now a gaming 
team or gaming group, but they were a lot smaller before. Um, so do you want to just talk a little bit about like what it's like being in a fledgling tournament scene? Yeah, there's actually a lot of similarities, like you said, and I think it's that's part of what's really drawn me in and, and made it so interesting is, you know, there's starting to be more Warhammer streams with Games Workshop starting to produce their own channel and, and really kind of churn out content that way. Uh, of course, Frontline Gaming was very cutting edge that way. We had some guys from uh, the Nova Open area on the East Coast that were doing streams for a while. But even just specifically to tournaments, like you said, it started off always being kind of like a big passion project. Uh, well, for the most part, we also had like Golden Thrones and stuff like that that Games Workshop did that was really cool. But it's just so fun right now because I, I tell everyone that Warhammer is like my golf. I just need something competitive in my life and I'm no longer a competitive StarCraft 2 player. So this is what's really filling that void. When I go to events, I feel the same adrenaline rush of like looking at lists. You know, there's that really funny dog and pony show of everyone putting their armies up and we're all like oh beautiful army oh okay so four bloodthirsters yeah that's that's gorgeous and they're like yeah thank you i pay each one individually and you're, you're looking at them because they're pretty but you're also looking at them because you're like how in the hell am i going to deal with that shit um and that's fun you know it's really fun and and the metas that develop too there's regionalistic metas uh, i played in austin texas and they have a very different scene in that area down in war games con um and then on the East Coast, you'll find different stuff. There's like areas that tend to have more artillery. I know that San Diego has a lot of guys running artillery kind of stuff, whereas up where I play, there's almost nobody that runs artillery, which is why is that? You know, it's 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 like local metas that develop and become kind of the scene. And it's just really fun that way. So I see a lot of similarities and it pulls on the same heartstrings of like what I really enjoyed about being a professional and competitive uh, gamer. Um, and I see that now happening in, in wargaming, and it's just, it's really cool. Yeah, especially with GW jumping on board, like, I, I really start to see the similarities. You know, obviously, GW isn't Blizzard um, by right. a long shot, but uh, you can kind of start to see the, the little fledgling, you know, nuances, like things like uh, taking feedback, um, mm -hmm. sponsored tournaments, the stream, the live stream that they have, Warhammer TV, all that is it's just small steps towards creating hopefully a larger and bigger tournament scene where we, yep. have, we have potentially tens of thousands of people watching a Twitch stream, right? Or like a world champion, like an official, mm -hmm. you know, world champion that you pick, not just uh, an ITC champion, not not to take away from being an ITC champion, but an official GW-sponsored world championship would be, oh, yeah. be great. It's the dream. I mean, and that's how it, that, that's how it is right now in competitive gaming. Like, you can be a champion, and that's really, really cool, and you can win big tournaments, but... The, the big, big ones are the ones that have the the producer, the creator behind it. Uh, you look at like the international, it's actually ran by Valve for Dota 2. Um, like you said, Blizzard for StarCraft, the big one there is BlizzCon or the WCS Global Championship. Right. You can win other tournaments, and that's really cool. Yeah, of course, Riot with LCS. Um, and that's what's so amazing. Like you said, with Games Workshop, for a long time, there was this like, weird um needy girlfriend relationship from the community to the games workshop they'd be like please just say anything anything at all to us i swear to god and every time they they did say almost anything kind of indirectly to us we we gobbled it up but then you know we would turn around and then bitch and moan about cost and ridiculous rules and late updates and bad writing and and then spend the next five thousand dollars buying up or whatever else it is they turn out but now yeah but i mean like you said now there are these little steps that have gigantic impact. And I mean, I look at their FAQs and I see them replying. I see them being cheeky. I see them 
putting faces to names and putting it on stream. And it's it's a whole new world. And it, it, we're not at that point yet where we're having 25,000 people watch a, a championship table. But and I, I, there's going to be people that roll their eyes to this, but it's actually a possibility. It really, really is. Um, there's tens of thousands of people that play the game. Streaming is blowing up. And the game is fun enough to stream, but I think it is also one of the absolute hardest things I've ever seen to stream. And Frontline Gaming does a great job. The I would even be critical of of the Games Workshop stream where it's like um, you can't quite tell what's going on. You absolutely need a free cam to, to move around to appreciate the models. Just a, t- a bird's eye view looking down. Like a knight looks pretty stupid from the top from the top down, right? But when you get up close and look at the detail and see it in relation to a squad of, of Marines or something like that. It's really amazing. So just, uh, I, I could go about that all day, but the, the point is we're getting there. There's more ways to go, but it's really cool that it's percolating. Yes. Uh, and so now that, now that we've kind of talked about kind of what, what a tournament scene is, and it's really exciting. Um, the way you guys can go into the tournament scene is there, there's a few easy ways to start. Um, first, you have to have a Warhammer 4 k army. Assuming, I'm assuming that if you listen to this podcast, you probably have at least one Warhammer 40k <laughs> model, I hope. If not, Check. I'll send you one. Yeah. I'll send you a Marine. Uh, but you need to have a uh, just a drive to go to tur- uh, tournaments. Um, you can check out the ITC. And what the ITC is, it's the Independent Tournament Circuit. It's run mm-hmm. by the company I work for, FrontlineGaming.org. It is, I humbly say this, the largest tournament circuit in the world. Uh, we are the big dogs in terms of uh, tournament scene and recognizing competitive 40K as a thing. You know, so there's we have international rankings, um, mm-hmm. we have teams, et cetera, et cetera. So I would go over to FrontlineGaming.org first and check out the ITC page and just look for areas local to you uh, where there's going to be ITC events. Um, that's that's a good way to start it and get into it. Um, and then uh, if you're not really if you're not really into the ITC or if there isn't any ITC events near you, um, go to local gaming source. That's I think that's probably where we all started really playing Warhammer 40. Yeah. I know that's where I started. Yeah, I, I would. So my my advice would be central around this one word, and that is expectations. So. If you haven't been to tournaments, if you're even new to Warhammer or there's some kind of spectrum of inexperience going on there, uh, I cannot tell you how many times I've, I've gone to tournaments and seen someone with this beautifully painted army. They work really hard. They love the hobby. Maybe they've been involved 10 years. Maybe they've been involved one. Um, but they go in and, you know, their experience has been playing at their local shop against other people that play kind of casually or playing against their son or their brother or whatever. They're just a very kind of calm easygoing experience and they get to a tournament they face someone that's traveled a little distance it's a little bit competitive and they get absolutely swatted and they get really gutted and they're upset about it and you know they don't they don't they, they start to do that thing that we all do where it's like ah, i don't like the way you play the game i don't like your list i don't like the way you talk to me during it and it becomes very quickly a very negative experience so what i would always say is if you're one of those people it's like you know what i'm gonna try tournaments i've heard a lot of bad things but i'm gonna give it a shot Manage your expectations. Go in not expecting to win every game. Go in expecting to learn, to experience, and to be like open to this different world of Warhammer. And as long as that's kind of how you go about it, it's going to be really hard to not have a good time. There are horror stories of people you can encounter, but I've played in a lot of tournaments for many years, and I've encountered them very few times as long as you go in, you know, kind of open to experiencing a tournament. And then there's people that are competitive or in their local meta, they play really well and they beat good players or what they think are good players. 
um, and they have higher expectations. It's okay to have higher expectations going to a tournament as well. But I would, I would couple that with like, I'm also going to have fun and I'm going to socialize. And as long as those are your drives alongside wanting to win, again, I find it really difficult to see you not having a good time. But like I said, I've just, I've encountered so many people where they're like, well, it's my first tournament in five years. Cause I just, I, I don't know. I hated the game. I, I, once they, once they gave, you know, hive tyrants, two guns to shoot, I was like, this is ridiculous. And then I'm like looking at my, uh, war convocation list and I'm like, oh, yeah, totally, dude. This is I, I totally get it. And then, you know, after turn one, he's quiet in his red face and he's like picking up his five year old land raider and you know he's putting away his uh, like tank, his predator tank. And I'm just like, I had that guy that that that's happened to me. And I'm trying to make light and I'm trying to have like let them have a good time. But tournaments are competitive for most people, like like uh, 60, 70, 75 percent of the people at most of the tournaments. Like you said, ITC, the big, big circuit, they're there to win. And they brought a dick punching list. They didn't bring a like, let's just have a good time. And, you know, I paid my hundred dollar entry fee and traveled from northern California. So I'm just here really to just shoot the shit like now you, you could face somebody that's like, I'm here to win this thing. Um, and if you're like going to get mad about that, then tournaments aren't going to be very fun for you. So you got to manage your expectations. Yeah. And one great way to manage those expectations is to find like-minded individuals. Um, yeah. Like teams. Um, for example, I joined Relentless D, a local team down here in San Diego. I, I could have got went, I could have joined team zero comp. I could have joined plenty of other teams, beast coast. Um, but I went with Relentless D because they fit kind of, what I want out of a team. They're all local guys. So I can meet up with them. I can borrow models. We can swap mm-hmm. ideas, drink beer. And then we drive tournaments together, which is and they're kind of the, a bunch of mediocre players that don't win very much, you know, and that's, that, that just fits really well with you. I beat up on them all the time. It's great. They all listen yeah. to the podcast. They're going to get a kick out of this. But the, the, the point of um, a team is to find like-minded individuals to further your tournament experience. So if you're one yep. of those guys who's been in the hobby for 20 years, and you've been sort of a lone wolf, you know, you've, You've never really been able to fit in with people at tournaments. You know, bring a couple buddies, start a team, and then you guys can all have fun about, you know, being at the bottom tables together, right? Or or just have funny moments like, oh, I killed my opponent's Magnus. Did he table you? Yeah, but I killed his Magnus. Rawr, or, or whatever. And right? tournaments are naturally balancing, too, for this kind of people. Like, if you go to a five-round tournament, maybe you face someone really good in the first two rounds, and that's... You know, that can be unfun. Uh, hopefully, 8th fixes a lot of the issues that were going on in 7th where it could be very unfun. Um, but then you're 0-2 and you're going to face someone else that's pro- that's 0-2. And very quickly, you're finding yourself against someone else in the same situation. And don't rob yourself of the experience of how – I mean, and this is kind of a little – this is preaching to the choir. Like everyone that's playing Warhammer knows this. But like some of the best goddamn time you can have is playing a game against somebody else. And you're, you're both talking. You're both laughing. You're learning. Uh, and that's really, I mean, I like winning. I'm a very hyper competitive person, but, uh, like 12 of my 15 best friends right now are all people I met through Warhammer. And, uh, it, I, the social aspect of it, the camaraderie that comes from it. And a lot of that is tournaments too. Like you definitely can get that in your garage. You definitely can get that at your local gaming shops. I'm not trying to say this is the only way to do it, but if there is a competitive streak in you, this is another way to, to grab onto that and experience it. And it's, it's so fucking good. And even if there isn't, if, even if you claim that there isn't a competitive streak in you, first off, I think you're lying. Because um, <laughs> I've seen, which I'll talk about a little bit later in part two, but I've seen some of the least competitive people I've ever met in my entire life, like, be competitive with this new edition, which is it's hilarious. Um, yeah. But 
like Reese. <laughs> well, he's he's still not very competitive. Right. He's trying though. He's, he's trying. Uh, but even if you're one of those guys who claims to not be competitive, uh, when you when you go three and zero, you've got like one or two buddies at a tournament. You're you're like you're undefeated going into day one. Like you're gonna feel pretty happy, you know. Especially if you beat uh, perceived cheesy list or perceived net net lister. Um, it, you you know you'll you'll I think you'll catch the bug, and I think uh, as long as a meta is designed for more casual players to still potentially go three and I think that's a thriving game, and I think that's a thriving community, um, and hopefully that's where Eighth Edition takes us. Uh, you know, so people can have better chances to go three and Obviously, if if you know you, you might not go five and there's I'm not going to say that casual players can start winning tournaments like the biggest tournaments. Like it's probably not going to happen. Probably have to have that little extra drive. Um, mm-hmm. But going three and zero and being undefeated in a tournament is one of the, or going undefeated day one in a tournament is one of the best experiences I've ever faced. Yeah, so, it's cool. yeah, and that's that. That comes down to the managing expectations. Like I've I've played with and, and know a lot of people that like are very happy to go three and two or or whatever two and three, and they're like taking a list where they're saying, hey, you know what? I love my dark my dark Eldar. This is this is who I am. I, I I don't expect to win, but I'm expecting to have a good time and and do as well as I can. Um, but I, I mean, even this talk, I can feel I can feel that you and I like making it sound scarier than it is. I think that's one of the first things too is just go to a tournament. If there's even like a fifty percent chance you'll have a good time, at least give it a shot and don't worry too much. Like you were saying, read the ITC page and all that. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you can for sure. Uh, if you can take a friend, I think that was really good advice, Pablo. Uh, but just go and have a good time too. Like, yeah. I think that's fine. I, I just have I've ran into people that are like, "Hey, this is this your first time to a COC in Sacramento?" And they're like, "Yep." But I'm I'm in my neighborhood. I am the third best Blood Angel player, and I I I expected you know. And you're like, "Oh shit, okay." Uh, and then they're pissed. Yeah. yeah, that's now now. It's, on Blood Angels and 8th Edition, just on that top, kind of segueing a little bit, uh, speaking about 8th Edition, I firmly believe that every single faction has a, a solid competitive list. It's it's not like where, you know, like poor Jeff with his Tyranids trying to build a competitive Tyranid list in 7th Edition, like that it just wasn't going to happen in 7th Edition. I, I think with the exception of maybe Death Watch and Gene Stealer Cult, though I, I'm not 100% sold on Gene Stealer Cult not having a competitive list. Mm-hmm. Um, every single list has a competitive solid list with competitive solid units that you can take and bring, and there's not as much... There's there's more interaction in the game now, um, in the sense that there's no there's no free transport, so you're feeling overwhelmed by a battle company or an unkillable Death Star. There's more interaction, things die, you know, last yeah. and kill land raiders, hypothetically. So... Because of that, and because there's a lot more uh, powerful units in each faction, and they're spread out through each faction, the game's more balanced. Um, so feel Agreed. free to take whatever you want. And, you know, there's no reason not to go to a tournament now, I feel. Less, I would say. Less. I mean, yeah, depending on what you what you like. But, yeah, um, there was just combos and things happening in 7th where uh, I think a big word there that, that Reese espouses a lot on the podcast and whatnot is, is interaction. So... There were scenarios where there was a unit that you just, you stood like a, you know, one in 72 of, of actually doing a point of damage to the 15 guys that are in there. Or um, a list hits so hard with Alpha Strike that if you didn't have a lot of terrain, you just stood zero chance, like mathematically speaking. Can those things still happen in 8th? Yes. And I think as the game develops and goes on, we will start to see more of those kind of things emerge. 
But to your point, and I fully agree with this, there's just a lot more interaction. Things are going to die on both sides of the table. There's no longer invincible things. And you can have different play styles, shooting, charging. Um, there are fairly defensive lists, although that, you know, the Death Star era, I think, at least for now, is mostly gone. Like the most you're going to see is like a minus one to hit. And then you have to get through like a three plus plus with a feel no pain, maybe. Whereas in the past, that would be a really shitty star. They'd be like, that's nothing. That's true. Uh, although you've never been more terrified of Bulgren with a one plus save before a two plus save or something ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. It It's a great time to be in competitive 40k. Uh, and then, you know, coming up in part two, Jeff and I are going to talk about our meta and our kind of how we're going to take 8th edition, how we're mm-hmm. going to look at it and, you know, take our two respective armies, Ultramarines and Tyranids. I believe you're running Tyranids. Right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, and go into 8th edition. So we're going to go ahead and hop into part two here, guys, right after this commercial break. Yo, get off the computer. I need to check eBay. I got an auction ending soon. Wait, what are you doing on the computer? I'm just buying some minis online. Are you saving money? Nah, dude, saving clicks. Time is money, right? Hey, what the heck was that for? Dude, you gotta buy from Frontline Gaming. They offer savings on minis every single day. Whoa, that's better than saving clicks. With all that savings, I could take a few days off of work so I can paint these minis. Ow! You gotta stop that. It hurts. You know what hurts? Spending three weeks base coning models. Save yourself some pain and get them painted by Frontline Gaming's painting studio. You know what? You've got all the answers. That's why I'm glad you're my best friend. I don't know what I'd do without you. I could never hurt you. What are you looking up on eBay? I'm uh, selling a bunch of old models. Don't really use them anymore. Why aren't you going through Frontline Gaming's secondhand store? You can get money or store credit. I think you broke my nose. I don't like your tone, mister. So I'm just going to say this. Head over to FrontlineGaming.org for more details. Okay, guys. And we're back. So, I'm just going to let Jeff kind of talk a little bit about uh, his Tyranids and 8th Edition. Because I feel like I've, I've talked a lot about you to you guys specifically about my thoughts on 8th edition and how I'm going to tackle it. Um, but I, we haven't heard the perspective of a Tyranid player, a true professional Tyranid player, not Reese on the screen. <laughs> so, Jeff, what do you think about the new edition? Uh, the new edition has been, you know, and I'll speak specifically from the perspective of Tyranids, I think it's to a lesser or greater extent for all codexes true, but uh, it's been extremely invigorating. Like, for me... I was happy enough in seventh. I was having a good time. I was playing Warcon. It's a great list. Um, but a lot of my peers were not having a good time and a lot of the community was not having fun. So with that kind of perspective, I went into eighth of like, okay, well, if they're happy, then I'll be happy. Uh, but I didn't know I was going to be this happy because I'm playing, I'm looking, one of my favorite things about some of the codexes that did exist, but almost never did for Terranets was I wanted options. I wanted to be able to run a list of a variety of things, have them kitted out differently, have them specialize in different ways. Because I think that's one of the most rewarding parts of Warhammer is being like an actual general that kind of, you know, has synergy, but but not synergy that's handed to them and, and like, well, I'd like to do this. And they're like, no, you can't do that other thing. Why? Because it's shitty. Oh, okay. Uh, which is what Terranids had. They had Flyrance and maybe Molochs. And even then, 
when there was more objectives to score, it felt really hopeless. Or if they were shooting into demons, or if demons had uh, Skyfire D weapons, it was like, ah, this is this is dumb. There's no chance in hell. Um, but in eighth, I find myself having a really, really good time. A because the list is extremely competitive. Uh, you have really, really good units like Gene Stealers, uh, Molochs for their cost are ridiculous. Biovores, especially for their cost, but also their range, just pumping out mortal wounds, very good. Um, and then I, I find myself almost chuckling saying this, but Swarm Lord in a pod is a very scary uh, threat on the table that does a lot of good, has a lot, you know, has a lot of uh, army multiplying factors. And that sounds silly and almost cartoony, but it's actually pretty damn true. Um, but it doesn't it doesn't just stop there. You know, uh, Reese has been playing other things as well. Toxicreens are very good. Hormagons, you can go very horde oriented You can go shooting, you can go charge. But the point is, at a tournament, you should almost always see a different list, at least for right now. Uh, obviously, the meta could calcify and the game could become a little bit tighter um, towards the top end of co- competition. But for right now, I'll tell you what, at the BAO, you're going to see a bunch of different Terranid lists. And I think I think that's really exciting. All right. So you played you played games. You mentioned before we started recording that you played you played seven games of mm-hmm. the edition. Uh, and you are 7-0 right now. So yeah, what do you think? Why do you think you were seven and zero? Do you think it's just you're that amazing, or do you think maybe people haven't grasped it yet? Or just tell me a little bit about those games. Sure, I think it's a it's a combination of a few things. Um, a couple of the wins were absolutely against guys playing their first eighth edition game, and they took a list that they thought would be good. Uh, a good example of that would be like one of my friends took a Blood Angel assault list with like all the characters and what we found in the middle of that game was an eighth edition because characters don't join units. It's very hard when like your five sanguinary guard make the charge and then your uh, big ass beat stick uh, doesn't right. He's just standing back there by himself and now you're outside the six inch bubble and there's a lot of that kind of thing going on. So that, that definitely happened a couple of times where it was like, Oh, okay, this is not working at all. And it's just us figuring out eighth edition. Um, and then the other factors i would say is that terranids are very good i think um having now played against in in those seven games i want to say seven different factions i believe that's true um i still do i look at my terrans and think they're they're pretty strong they're they they have the ability to field fairly inexpensive to very effective monstrous creatures with a lot of wounds that take a lot of damage to, to bring down a lot of focused fire and then behind that um my list includes 40 gene stealers uh all with the five plus plus and sometimes with a feel no pain behind that essentially uh, but they almost never need it and then they start off the game in range of venom tropes where you're hitting them on a minus one and in general ballistic skills went down too right so if anything with a big gun moves for the most part it's at minus one uh that kind of stuff so i'm finding that Terranids in particular have the ability to be both a horde army but also have they're equivalent to like vehicles, but they're very mobile assault oriented vehicles. So it's a very dangerous combination. Um, and then, you know, I also think to a certain degree, I've been playing Terran since I was 12 years old. I'm now 31. So there's a big part of me that kind of understands, even in this new edition, where what kind of positions they should try to get into and, and how they should utilize stuff. Um, and then I also have to give credit where credit's due. I am, uh, I, I, I attended the dojo of Reese and most of what Reese does in a Warhammer game is trick, confound, uh, minorly cheat, and 
basically just try and spin circles of hell inside your brain. And uh, what I'm using fluffy language to describe is things like figuring out that you can declare a charge without having line of sight, um, how to pile in and tie in units that don't want to be an assault, how to technically move towards the closest unit, but also kind of serve your own purposes by maintaining bubbles, all that kind of shit. That's the Reese world. And uh, I, I'm quite good at it because I had to play against him in my formative years. Right. So you, we, you and I have completely different 8th edition experiences when we first started. So so when I first started, uh, I, I went into it with an open mindset. I'd never played anything. And when I finally got around to playing 8th edition, my meta was uh, Reese and Frank, people who yeah. tested the game for months and months and months. So they're like, okay, Pablo, the gloves are off. Let's do this. Uh, and I got stomped uh, consistently. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I kept trying. Uh, I still remember the very first time I, I looked at the index and I built a list. And Reese just kind of, you know, hovered over me and said, "Yes, yes, those are good." And I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick your ass." I, you know, my list is amazing. I got stomped easily. Like Gene Sailors do what? Like uh, rates are that good? It, it, yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I had to learn a little bit. Uh, I had learned basically how to beat players better than me. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think the people try to find, you know, crazy combinations. And I think 8th edition is, in a lot of sense, a simpler edition. Um, so try not to build crazy combinations, like you said with the characters. Um, you know, maxing out characters to get all those cool buffs. And, yeah, it's cool and it works, um, but this is a really simple edition. And, Agreed. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you should wield a hammer, a large hammer, with finesse. Uh, and that's, yep. that's kind of why I found my three knight list with Gilliman. It's a lot of people have been asking about it. It's basically just three knight crusaders decked out completely. Um, one of them has one of the missiles, the, the cheap missile pod, and then reboot Gilliman to buff them. And uh, a lot of people told me like, "Oh, your your knight list is crap. Like, it's knights. They're easy to kill. My my list can kill a knight in one turn." It's like, well, that's cool. Um, but can you can you handle two knights and Gilliman? Can you handle reboot Gilliman by himself? Can you get Gilman in a position to be able to shoot at him? You know, can you table knights in five turns? You know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And my knight list is currently undefeated, right? I've played, every game person I've played, I've easily either tabled them or beaten them to the point where they didn't want to play anymore. Um, that's not because I, I want to beat them. It's just every yeah, every time I play it, sure. it's what happens. Um, so, so just kind of bear that in mind uh, when you guys are building your lists. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's getting your head around a new kind of excitement. Like it used to be with every Codex release in 7th edition, it was like, oh, God, you know, I can see how this synergizes with that, the Imperial Soup, etc. And I think there will be some of that, Nate, but I absolutely agree with you that you shouldn't spend too much time looking for that. It's it like yours is uh, is as close as 8th comes to 7th, at least for right now, until the Codex is released, where Guillemin gives you a reroll to hit and to wound and that's savage, and, and that's a great bubble for things that shoot a lot of shots. So that's a hell of a gun line packed into four models that's probably uh, ending its deployment first and getting it at least a plus one, if not straight up going first. Um, so that's all really, really good and savage. But, you know, I already see on the competitive forums, like, people looking for three or four characters buffing something up or uh, do, do buff stack if I have three Dark Shrouds at a minus three to hit, that kind of stuff. Like, get, I, I would really recommend getting your mind away from that. Because I think the better lists are going to be things that have elements of that, like this guy buffs this certain thing, and that's really cool to get them up the table or to sit there and shoot. 
Meanwhile, I have MSU qualities or I have a delivery system like um, Tasty Taste in my local meta is, is playing with Necrons and he's doing like 20 flayed ones in a croissant that can just fly up there pretty reliably. It goes 60 inches, gets close to you. It can't drop them out that turn, but let's say the next turn they can. And 20 flayed ones are more than what a lot of lists can deal with uh, at that time. So it's going to be kind of stuff like that because it's a different way of thinking about the game. Uh, assaulting out of deep strike or assaulting out of a transport uh, or reserves in general. Just being able to assault, basically just being able to assault, quite, you know, remove all restrictions. That's pretty incredible. Uh, absolutely. And now, you know, we're obviously we're talking about Tyranids and Ultramarines. Um, but if you guys have any questions about you know, other factions, you guys can let me know. Uh, like I mentioned earlier in the introduction, you guys can email me. Um, and try not to freak out about... Um, I, I, maybe freak out's a little, little too strong, but uh, try not to think too much about things like Forge World coming out or um, your friend's really, really powerful Eldar Wraith list. Um, and just, just remember that things still die um, and your competitive list isn't, isn't there somewhere, right? Uh, and Jeff said it perfectly. You, you really have to look at this as a new game. Um, well, I think, I think what's the coolest and most promising part about 8th is that because so many of the codexes are good, and maybe you can call one less good than another, but again, until tournaments start happening, I wouldn't even be comfortable saying that. You're going to go to a tournament, and it's no longer going to be like... It used to be you had to answer the following questions. Can you kill Eldar Jet Bikes? Can you kill enough of a battle company? Can you... Uh, do you have an answer for demons? Like, do you have a way to get, if you have too much grav, then all the, all of a sudden those, those invul saves and those lack of saves on in general are going to really bone you. So like, those were the hardcore questions you had to answer with your list in order to be competitive. Otherwise you're just kind of rolling the RNG. You're like, well, no, I can't do any of that, but maybe I don't hit it. It's like, yeah, maybe, but you probably do. In eighth edition, I think there's going to be a lot less of that. It's going to be like, well, I took an all flyer list and you know, I have the, the bare minimum on the ground uh that kind of thing and it's like yeah that's that's pretty cool but then you're gonna hit the other guy who's like wow it's so fun i i also have an all flyer list and it's <laughs> it's gonna be those kinds of things just all over the place so who knows what emerges as the rock solid like when you play in the top 10 here's the five lists that you absolutely will face type of thing see now i both agree and disagree with you um so you're definitely going to have a more uh diverse meta like that's definitely going to happen. There's a lot of the, there's a lot more balance between codexes, but I actually think you're going to have to answer a lot more questions, uh, which leads to a bit more of a rock paper scissors kind of dynamic. Um, for example, can you list kill knights? Can your list kill T8 high save models? Um, can it kill hordes? Can it kill 200 bodies? Uh, can it bully 200 bodies off of objectives if you can't kill 200 bodies? Can you stop alpha strikes? Can you stop? melee alpha strikes with a bubble wrap can you stop melee alpha strikes with that kill your bubble wrap so you need multiple layers if you're an alpha strike army can you kill can you kill a bubble wrap you know gun line well maybe it's the debater in me pablo but when i hear you make the argument that there's more questions you have to answer i would argue there's a threshold where it gets to a certain point and then the whole subject we're discussing is off point because it's like Though what I was saying is if you went to a tournament, you had to be able to deal with those things because that was so common. If all of a sudden the issues are so numerous that no one list could answer all those questions, then we're all in the same boat. Okay, I could see that. Fair enough. Touche. Jeff and Control Robinson. We both yeah. have debate in college. So, uh, but probably could delve in that a little bit more. But the point, I, I think the point's been kind of done to death, is that, you know, you do 
you don't have to worry about these specific things killing you, to, you know, destroying you, like Battle Company, Psychers, like in 7th edition, which right. ultimately means 8th edition. And your point's not wrong. There will be hardcore Alpha Strike lists. There will be four or five knights. Right. There will be 600 conscripts backed by commissars, like ridiculous lists like that. And it's like, you know what? Uh, that is that that could be the the rock to your scissor, and that could be really really difficult. Um, but I think there's going to be so much diversity between lists and those kind of questions that, yeah, you're going to get unlucky. And I think that's a little bit part of the new world because it used to be. There's a reason why the list were at the top. It was because a invincible unit on three on a two objective mission is pretty good, right? Uh, and and that was just generically true. Now there's different ways to answer a bunch of different questions. You can go as hardcore into them, or you can go a little bit more all comers and hope for the best. But there's still going to be that insane list out there where it's like, well, no, I couldn't answer for that. And if you made a list that could answer for that, you'd get bitten in the ass by something else that then has a whole new set of questions that you couldn't answer. Yeah, and those extreme lists, uh, recently I've talked about this extensively, those extreme lists, the rock, paper, and scissors that, that are truly rock, paper, scissors matchups, they'll cancel each other out. So, yeah. So we firmly believe here at the studio that balanced lists are the way to go, or, or leaning rock, but still having some scissors and paper elements, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is it's really cool. It's, it's exciting. Um, it's definitely a time for list innovators. Uh, and Jeff, as you're building your Tyranid list, is it evolving as you're going along, or do you have a pretty solid Tyranid list? The way I always do it is um, I get I, I, di- I dive deep into the material, and I get really excited about things, and then I try to balance out what I want to do with, with how I want to win. Um, so I, I definitely need to win to enjoy myself, but I also want to win a certain way. If I can get a Swarm Lord into a list, that's always been my thing. Like in 5th edition Tyranids, it was all about a uh, toughness nine, strength nine, swarm lord marching around being an absolute badass. Was it the most competitive list in the world? No, but I did pretty well with it, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I wrote one list for Terranids. I'm going to make a video discussing every detail about it, but just for the purpose of the podcast, it's two units of twenty gene sitters, two brood lords, swarm lord, tyrannocyte, two Molochs, one trigon, um, three biovores, three warriors with bone swords and lash whips. The Trigon has adrenaline glands, the Warriors have adrenaline glands, and then 24 Termagons, I think it is, and three Venomthropes, and I believe that's it. And it's just a, a combination of, I'm in your face turn one um, with the Trigon, with, uh, with the Swarm Lord, with the Molochs, and I'm bombing you from afar with a pretty good fire base. They're, you know, you're, if you're going to shoot into the Biobores and Warriors and Termagons that are flooding the objectives over on my side... Then you're shooting into minus one for the most part. And then the whole time there's lightning quick uh, blobs of uh, genesters coming at you that require a lot of shooting to get through as well. And it's it's just been brutal. It's been insanely brutal. It's a lot of bodies. It's a lot of hard-hitting stuff, and there's a lot of synergy. Sounds like a really terrifying period. And there's a lot of uh, smite in it, too. That When the two broodlords get up there and the swarmlord, um, depending on I, – I look at smite. As more of like an opportunistic thing, it's it's not really good to just spam generically because you'll be killing like a fucking guardsman or something like that. Who cares? But when someone flies a demon prince close and they're in the they're in the middle of a triangle of three psychers, that's a good way to get you know pr- a lot of wounds. I, I one shot him a fist on him. If you if you can roll a ten plus and then do a d six, that's that's a space marine character. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. sick. That's kind of just nice to have that little ace in the hole, just randomly. You know, if you don't have yep. anything. Else. 
a free shooting attack. It's not bad. Yep. So what are you worried most about? What are you kind of planning for right now? Um, well, part of the reason I like the list is because I feel like it's, it is that all takers, like it gives me a good shot at dealing with everything, but there's already some pretty gnarly lists that are, that are floating around there. I think like the Zinch flying demon stuff is really good. Um, they can, they can have a decent number of bodies, but they can have just a lot of fairly reliable smite spam going out there. And then, you know, princes and Magnus and stuff like that, they all hit like an absolute brick house. So that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, I think, I think things like knights, I think things like high vehicle lists are going to give people a lot of difficulty because of how hard it is to bring down a vehicle. Um, everyone talks about last cannons, but like a, a really spammy last cannon list would still have, let's call it like 10 last cannon shots. And then D6 damage is awesome, but how many times have we all been there when you roll that D6 and you get a one or two? And then all of a sudden it becomes a bolter or, you know... <laughs> Uh, two bolters and, and uh, you don't feel so hot anymore so um that is the new world we live in there is no you know within reason there's unless you're shooting like a warhound titan gun or something like that you're not doing it more than d6 damage like that's the scariest thing we see right now for the most part yeah and, and the forge world stuff coming out there's some elements of more than d6 damage and more titan killing but they're, they're expensive um yeah and they're, they're Forge World. You know, it's, it's Forge World. You're, you're adding APOC to your game, um, which is comes with it all the nuances of having a large creature, right? Yep. You're putting all your eggs in one basket, etc., etc. Uh, speaking of vehicle lists, have you gotten a chance to play any Torox fan lists? No. Um, I did watch the stream uh, at Frontline Gaming where they had the Torox list, and it, it looks good. Puts out a lot of DACA. Yeah. I've got a funny story about that. Uh, we had a player down here, Justin Jones. Uh, I don't know if you've you've ever met Justin Jeff from down here. I don't know the name, but maybe I have. No, he's he's a really fluffy guy. Um, he he consistently gets mad at other players for bringing really competitive things. Um, and okay. He, you know he just you know he doesn't he likes playing like playing his casuals narrative. Um, first first time I went into Game Empire Eighth Edition, Justin had like ten Toroxes and an Inquisitor in a Land Raider with Arcoflagellants. If you don't know Arcoflagellants, they're, they're <laughs> meat grinders in close combat. And uh, Justin was like, he was really into it, and he was really happy um, with his Toroxes. But for the longest time, he'd been running Militarum Tempestus and Inquisition in 7, and been doing awful, right? Like, just been not having fun, right? So so that's kind of cool. Um, but if you if you have a chance to play against someone with a high vehicle list, uh, like a Torox spam list, or like a Razorback Twin Assault Cannon list, uh, play them. Play them as many times as you can, because I, I feel like that's the golden standard for how much damage your list should be able to deal with. Hmm. Yeah. Vehicles with guys inside it and stuff like that. It's, it, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. it's good. All right. So have you had any chance to look at any of the Forge World stuff, uh, specifically the Chaos and Imperium? I know the Xeno stuff isn't out yet. Yeah, I have just about every Forge World night, so I'm very curious. Uh, I also, they've added the Porphyrian, which is really nice, because um, Frontline Gaming's awesome studio has got one of those on the way for me. Uh, and have for a while, and I even got it when it was just a 30k in 7th edition, so it wasn't even guaranteed to come over to 40k. Of course, the plan was for it to do that, but um, plans don't always go through, so uh, that'll be interesting and fun. I, I haven't dived too deep into it. I have my indexes on the way. They they just went on pre-order and then shipped, like, this week. Um, and I actually have... The, the rules are out there for the Terranid stuff, but other than the Demon Caron, I have not looked, because I'm, I'm kind of... Um, 
like a 12 year old child on Christmas with that kind of stuff. Like I'm excited. But some of my most competitive lists when I played Terranids in sixth edition and into seventh was Barb lists and big monster type stuff. It's they're my favorite. So I'm hoping for them to be really cool. I hope it's in my Terran is like I, the Barb Herodul. I I feel like it, it, maybe it didn't have its day, but I feel like the Barb Herodul was solid. But the Dimacaron, as far as long as I've known it since it came out, it's always been subpar. Yeah, no, six inch moving assault anything is is really bad. Uh, it was a, it was a bargain at 195 points, I think it was, and it did have damage output. But seventh edition outpaced a lot of things, and it basically outpaced the entire Terranid Codex um, as it went on. So for a lot of people, they'll be like, "What? That thing's terrible. It's a gorgeous model, but it's terrible." No, actually, early seventh it was still okay. When the scariest thing he faced was like a Wraith Knight and then, you know, Wave Serpent and stuff like that. It has a three. It was okay, but it was just too slow. Um, it seems like it moves fairly quickly now with its rules. It's strength, uh, I want to say 14 or maybe 10, something like that. It's, it's quite good in that regard as well. Um, but part of the problem with a thing like that, too, is it ends up overlapping a little bit. It's like it does great in melee and it, can, it has a swallow attack if you, you know, roll a six on a certain something or another. And it's like, okay, well. I don't know, Trigon, Swarmlord, these things all do D6 damage and get the melee pretty reliably, so why am I going with that? And they're like, well, it can jump, so it ignores things, and it's like, yeah, but a monster creature still can't end on a second floor or more, so it's jumping a fence, that's awesome, I don't know. So I have two of them, and I'm hoping I'm wrong, maybe there's some synergy there, but for the most part, that kind of thing, meh. But like a Barb Herod or a Sith Herodul, especially with how Flamers work in 8th edition, if, if, uh, if they have some pretty cool rules and are more fairly priced, then, yeah, that'd be really fun. Right on. All right, Jeff, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I know you have an 8th edition game to go win. So thank you yeah. very much for coming on. Uh, do you want to give uh, everyone your information? Where, where can we listen to more beautiful Jeff Robinson? <laughs> uh, well, thanks for having me. I actually really like the podcast. I follow it every time you put it out. It's nice that... Uh, we're all excited about 8th edition, so there's going to be a lot of talking and, and discussing of the things that we find, and it's cool to have this kind of content. So I hope you know I appreciate it, as do many others. Um, for me personally, uh, with 40K stuff, I'm gonna, I plan on visiting the boys in a while, and I'll hop on stream then. Um, otherwise, I'm going to start uploading some videos doing like list review stuff on my YouTube, which is just In Control TV on YouTube. Um, it'll be really low-key. You know, I'm trying to get my wife to help me with graphics and stuff like that, but... Sometimes it's not worth the, the anguish. Um, so it might just be a talking head discussing lists and, and Warhammer strategy and that kind of stuff. But otherwise, my day-to-day -day job is to entertain and stream games on Twitch, also at In Control TV. Uh, lately, I've been playing da uh, Darkest Dungeon, but I've got like XCOM 2 DLC coming up. I play a lot of StarCraft, Dawn of War 3, that kind of stuff. Do you ever play Total War Warhammer? Yes, actually. Total Warhammer 2 comes out September 29th, and I was able to... Um, go and sample it and play it with the developers, and it is awesome. Oh, man, I'm glad. All right, Jeff, thanks for coming on, buddy. I'm going to put those links up in the description, guys, on Sunday, and especially the link to the list whenever the list video that Jeff mentioned, whenever that comes out. Um, so stay tuned into the blog post. Anyways, guys, have a good one. All right, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thank you, Paul. That was awesome. Appreciate it, man. No problem. Just tell me when that video goes up, yeah? Uh, yeah, I'll probably do it the next day or two and I'll, I'll just hit you up. Um, if you check Skype fairly frequently, I can even just message you here and stuff. Okay, cool. All right, buddy. Bye. All right. See you, man.